and welcome to mini episode 144 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have eight spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from September the 7th, 2021. And story number one comes from Pam and Logan. It was August 28th, 2021. My 13-year-old son Logan and I were hiking Upper Purgatory Falls in Lineborough and Wilton, New Hampshire. This is an out and back kind of trail that follows the Purgatory Creek and features many beautiful waterfalls. It's a scramble kind of hike, not a lot of elevation, very wooded and very well travelled. He and I had hiked the lower section a couple of weeks back, but found it very crowded and the parking was terrible. We also got very lost on our way back. The well-trampled trails were very confusing and the heading on my GPS seemed to be off. So to avoid the crowds, we decided to start at the less popular upper end, where there were even more impressive falls and a deep chasm with deep pools and steep cliffs. On our way to the upper trailhead, we saw a lot of cars with mountain bikes on trailer hitch bike racks or in the beds of their trucks. They turned a different way though. We found the parking area. It was a very remote pull-off on a dirt road, so I left a note in my car in case someone was wondering where the owner of the car was. This wasn't the popular end of the trail, so it made sense that there were no other cars. We started out on the trail and it was every bit as beautiful as we thought it would be. The cliffs were very impressive and scary. I got as close to the edge of them as I dared and looked at the slippery moss and root-covered ground and decided that that was close enough. I didn't want to slip and fall into the deep trench below. I even said that out loud to my son as I didn't want him to get too close to the edge either. We stopped at several cliffs and scrambled around the trail enjoying the beautiful scenery. We saw only two other couple of hikers. It was very quiet compared to the other half of the trail. My plan was to hike the full 2.5 mile trail and do the full 5 mile out and back, which doesn't seem like a lot but with all the roots and rocks and hills, you move at a snail's pace. Unfortunately, due to a heavy rain the weekend before, we came to a part of the trail that was completely blocked by deep ponded water. Instead of going forward onto the falls trail, I decided to take a different trail and make our hike a loop instead of an out and back. We were to climb Purgatory Hill, a very small mountain, and loop back around on an abandoned class 4 road to the car. The trail turns into the class 4 road near the top of the hill, so I figured and explained to Logan that the trail would open up closer to the top. The climb up Purgatory Hill was pretty steep, and the trail was narrow and windy, with very little visibility ahead of you. We needed several breaks to sip water and catch our breath. I was also watching the GPS on my phone closely, because as I mentioned, I'd gotten lost in this area before. I was ahead of Logan by maybe 20 feet, and I was just concentrating on looking at where my feet were going. Logan suddenly shouted out, Hey, I just saw a biker! Which made sense. The bikers would use the wider open class 4 roads, so I thought we must be close to the top of the hill. But a couple of minutes later, when we got to the area that Logan saw the biker across the trail at, We looked around, and there was no class 4 road ahead of us. There was no trail cutting across. It was still only a narrow, rocky, steep hill up ahead of us. We looked all around, 
and there was no way a biker had ridden across the trail. I asked if he had seen a person, and he said, no, just the two tyres, it was too far up. I asked him if he was sure, and he insisted that he had seen two wheels going across the trail from left to right. We were both a little freaked out at this point. We had to keep going. The only option was to turn back, and I didn't really want to do that, as I wanted an easier hike down the road that my GPS promised was ahead. Very soon we reached the meadow and wider trail at the top of the hill. It was only a little bit further. We took a break in the meadow and ate our sandwiches. Out of curiosity, while we were eating, Logan looked up Biker Death at Purgatory Falls. An article came right up about a 50-year-old woman who was hiking along the Upper Falls trails in January of 2015. It was icy, and she fell off a 15-foot cliff into one of the icy pools below possibly where I was looking over the edge and got nervous and decided to step back. That wasn't the freakiest part though. She was an avid cyclist, though she wasn't cycling when she died. She was a lover of human-powered transportation and was well known for riding her bike all around her hometown in Massachusetts. Logan and I were shocked, but mostly just felt lucky and privileged that maybe she had decided to reveal her spirit to us. Well, to Logan anyways, I didn't see her. Also an interesting coincidence, she was an avid baker who ran a bakery and Logan and I bake bread together often. We like to try different recipes and methods. Of course, on our way back down on the Class 4 road, my GPS gave the wrong heading again, just like the last time. My guess is that this area is full of ferrous rock and the iron decalibrates the heading in my phone. Still, it is very unusual for the phone to get uncalibrated with all the newer technology in it now. That poor woman who died completely accidentally doing what she loved. And I do hope that in some way her soul is happy and that her soul is doing all of the things that she loved to do in life. And on the uh, on the GPS point, I have a pretty up-to-date phone and the GPS sends me haywire all the time. So... I wouldn't even worry about it. It probably is also the rocks in the area. That's a very good point. But yeah, GPS, I don't think it's as foolproof as we like to think it is sometimes. And story number two comes from Amar. I used to live in Mumbai since childhood with my grandparents. But this year, my mother asked me to move to Pune with her. So I did. Due to certain differences in me and my parents' views, I decided to move out to my father's hostel. I arrived at the hostel with all my luggage and the caretaker showed me to my room. It was a sharing room for three people, but I was the first one to occupy it. It was a square room with three beds. My first impression after I saw the room was, ew, because it was disgusting. The room had dirt and spiderwebs all over with a wet, damp smell. I immediately started with cleaning and I made it a little bit more presentable after an hour and a half. I finished with my night salah, my night prayers, and then I was finished my chores for the evening. Now here's the interesting part. As I was getting ready to sleep, I started hearing taps on the window. It was around 2am at this point. At first I thought it was just my imagination, but as time passed, the tapping sound evolved to the sound of skin rubbing against the glass. Now it really had my attention, so I said, 
you don't mess with me and I won't mess with you in a loud voice and immediately the sound stopped. The stopping of the weird sounds was the confirmation for me that I was not alone so how could I sleep? I kept staring at the window to keep myself awake but the tiredness from the cleaning I did got the better of me and I went into hibernation mode. I slept only for like 15 or 20 minutes and during this time I dreamt of a lady in a white almost see-through cloth. It was wrapped around her and she was walking away from me and I was chasing after her and asking her to wait and turn around so I could see her. No matter how much I ran I could never catch up to her which irritated me and I woke up. As I opened my eyes I was facing the wall and I could smell the wetness in the wall so I turned to the opposite direction and there it was. It was almost in a cat-like position in the bed opposite me like it was ready to pounce. I looked right at its face and it was the most horrifying face I had ever seen. It had wrinkles all over its face and its eyes were fully white. It still gives me the creeps. I felt my body slowly shutting down as it was two arms length away from me. I said fuck it and ran out of there with all the strength I had. I kept running for almost 15 minutes until I reached the main road. I saw the time. It was 3.24 which meant that I experienced all of this at around 3am. I called my mom immediately and she told me to come to her place for the night. The next day, my father called Araki to investigate. After the Rocky finished with his purifying, he said that it was a Silat, a shapeshifter gin. It was resting in the room and I disturbed it when I started cleaning the room. It wanted me to leave the room so it did what it did. That day I learned that if a residence is left without any activity for more than 40 days, gins start living in it. And the room that I got was closed for more than a year. I love stories about gins. We did an episode about gins, oh, maybe last year, the year before, I don't remember. But at some point, there is an episode about gin. And it was so fascinating to look into. Like, there's so many different variants of gin. Like, so many things that they can do and ways that they can impact human life. And that sounds absolutely petrifying. To see something cat-like in your room that looked like it was waiting to pounce. I'd be gone legging it out into the main road as well. I'd be like, no, I'm not staying in this place. And story number three comes from Kate. I'd lived in this house since I was born. And my mother had also lived in this house since she was a child too. So we had been there a very long time. We had always been aware that there was something living in the house with us. But it never bothered us. And we just peacefully coexisted with it. It seemed to be around our stairs the most. You would hear it walking up and down the stairs sometimes, and my mum saw it standing on the stairs. It didn't look like what I've heard people describing to be ghosts. It didn't look like an outright person. It looked like someone's shadow. I never actually saw it until one day I was sitting in my bed, winding down for the night, and I became aware of something out of the corner of my eye sitting on my bed with me. I turned to look properly and it was this shadow. I was terrified and I think it knew because it quickly flew from the room. That was the only time that I saw it. I never saw it again but it was still in the house and we would still hear it moving around. In another incident involving my nan, 
she'd come to stay over to look after me while my mum went on a night out. My nan took my bed and I went into my mum's bed. My nan left the bedroom door open and the hall light on just in case I needed her in the night. My nan had just gone to bed when she heard someone walking up the stairs. She presumed it was my mum coming home already. My bed faced the bedroom door and my door was directly opposite the stairs so you could see who was coming up. She lifted her head to check but she couldn't see anyone coming up so she presumed she must have been hearing things but was a little weirded out and just closed her eyes again. She could then hear someone walking into the room and she was freaked out by this point so she kept her eyes closed and listened as it walked up to the bed. She said she felt someone then lean over her as if they were checking who it was and then leave the room and walk back down the stairs. It wasn't me and my mum only came home a couple of hours later. She was too freaked out to sleep after that. And here's where the story gets a bit more complex and a bit weirder. The house was a council house and to cut a long story short, a person who lived around the corner, their house was getting demolished by the council and they didn't want to leave the area. So they got some of the local youths to harass us constantly to get us to leave the house so they could try and get our house from the council when they relocated them. They harassed us to the point where my mum was physically ill with stress and we did end up leaving the house and moving away as they had hoped. The council did end up giving them our old house. One day we saw one of our old neighbours who we were still friendly with and they asked my mum, did you know your old house was haunted? She asked them why they asked that. They told us that the person who had moved in was having problems with an entity in there. It would frequently try and push her down the stairs. Whenever she went down the stairs, it would usually try and push her down. It would actually shout abuse at her, calling her all sorts of words like the C word and a fucking bitch. They tried three different priests to get rid of it and none of them could get it to leave. They, for some unknown reason, stuck it out and eventually the entity just gave up a few years later. I mean, personally, I would have just left the house if something wanted me gone that badly. I still don't understand what it even was. I don't think it was a ghost personally, but it had never done anything to harm us. We'd never even heard it speak. Whatever it was didn't follow us either, and it seemed to be attached to the house. I uh, don't want to cast aspersions on anybody, but that feels a bit like karmic retribution. Served, ice cold, by your resident ghost. It sounds like whatever was in the house was attached to the house, like you said, but also was respectful to you and your family and you were respectful of it. So you lived in this kind of harmony. And then when that person came into the house who shouldn't have been there and who got the house by seriously nefarious means that the ghost decided, you know what, I'm going to let you know that you don't deserve to be here. And while I don't condone violence in the afterlife or otherwise, I feel like that ghost was doing its very best to let that woman know who was boss in that house. And story number four comes from Mark. When I was eight or nine years old, the family dog was a big, sandy-coloured German shepherd who wasn't scared of anything, nor did he like many people. I remember hearing him barking and crying out late into the night, but thought he was just playing. I never thought a dog could scream, but he did, and it was completely out of character. 
The family rushed downstairs to find the dining room wooden furniture was stacked end on end in the kitchen at the far corner, a distance of about 15 feet. There were bite and claw marks on the legs of the chairs and also the hoover which only made it to the kitchen doorway. Our dog was petrified, would not sleep downstairs for a good few weeks and we could not find an explanation nor would it be physically possible for a dog to stack wooden chairs. It's never happened again and we will never know why. The same time this happened, all the clocks in the house stopped at the same time. My dad is a clock and watch repairer, so there is generally now around four or five per room. Again, they could not all be stopped at the same time, it just wouldn't be possible. The furniture was never moved around again, but the clocks continued to stop at random times throughout the night, around eight or nine, all stopping at the same time. This got less and less until no more. After a few years, this all ceased, but we still have no idea why. My mum and dad are still in the same house. My brother was into his early teens at the time and swears blind he was woken regularly by a little girl. We later found out a little girl's bedroom was the front room of the house and she was killed from flying debris during the bombings of World War II. This has fascinated me for years. After moving out, Dad has confessed he regularly sees things in the house. People and shadows, and what sounds like someone cooking a dinner in the kitchen. So maybe it was all to gain attention and affirmation. That story gave me absolute goosebumps. I hate, hate, hate poltergeisty type stories when chairs, tables, whatever are stacked up on top of each other. That it has given me serious anxiety. I'm not happy. And to have all of the... Clocks stop at the same time. Your dad must have been thinking, are you for real? Especially when he's a clock repair, he must have been raging. They all stopped at the same time. All the clocks stopped at the same time. The dog freaking out, the stuff being stacked up. And it only happened the once. What's that all about? Usually you think of these things as like the start of something or, you know, the climax of something. But no, no, just the once. Was it just for attention? Was it a little girl ghost? whose bedroom had been bombed in the war I don't know but it, that, that would that would really freak me out a lot of other things you can you can justify or you can um logic away in some way shape or form but it would take a lot to try and logic all of the furniture being stacked up the dog freaking out all the clocks stopping at the same time that that sounds pretty horrendous and story number five comes from Rihanna Growing up, I was very close to my nanny, who was my dad's mum. She was like my best friend, and I loved seeing her and spending time with her. She would always tell me we had a special connection because my parents and I used to live with her and my granddad until my parents bought their own house, and she and my granddad would look after me most days when I was young while my parents were at work. When I was 21, she sadly passed away from cancer. She'd been sick for a few months, and we sadly knew that she didn't have long left. One morning I was fast asleep one moment, and then the next I sat bolt upright in bed, like I'd been shocked by electricity or something, and I gasped, as if I'd been holding my breath. I was wide awake, which almost never happens because I am not a morning person, and I felt so alert. It was the weirdest thing. Even to this day I can't fully explain what happened. I lay back down and tried to sleep but I just felt off. 
I can't describe it, but I just didn't feel right. A few moments later, my mum phoned to tell me my nanny had passed away about five minutes ago at 6am, which was when I had sat bolt upright in bed. A few years later, I was again fast asleep. My nanny always wore this perfume. It was called Dune, and I think it was by Christian Dior. I remember it because it had a really strong smell, and she had worn it my entire life, so the smell was very familiar to me. I remember being hit by an overwhelmingly strong smell of her perfume. It was like she was right next to me. The smell woke me up, but I kept my eyes closed for a brief second, not really knowing what was happening. When I opened my eyes, the smell disappeared. I know I couldn't have imagined it because I could smell it so strongly. I still sometimes get a brief smell of her perfume, but it's never as strong as it was that morning. I find these experiences oddly comforting and I still think about her all the time. I do think it's true that people in life have these amazing connections and that something happens with those connections when one of those people dies. We have so many of these stories where people just know when somebody they love has died. They just know, they feel it, they shoot up awake or they get a, like a phantom phone call or something happens that shows that that connection is real. And it probably was your grandmother coming back and check on you. Like I would like to believe that smelling somebody's perfume is a way for them to show you that they're there. Because our sense of smell, I think, is physiologically one of our strongest memory receptors. So if I was a ghost, an easy way to tell someone that you were there is to trigger a smell that would remind them of you. And story number six comes from Linda. I'm Catholic through my mother's line. She was second generation American via Italy. My dad's side is very Irish but not Catholic. I've never forgotten a prayer she taught me as a small child. St. Anthony, St. Anthony, please look around. My whatever has been lost and cannot be found. I add, and I need it right now. I'm not sure anymore if this last line was made up by me or if I heard it from someone else. I just know it was not taught to me as part of the prayer from my mom. I might be playing with fire being so demanding to one of God's saints, but I find myself automatically saying this prayer in my head quite often without thinking about it. My mother is gone and I'm the only child left in town at my dad. I visit him every week to continue working on clearing out their home since my mother passed almost three years ago. It's a six-bedroom house that my mother had packed to the gills. My dear sweet dad is 89. One of my nephews lives with him as well as my sister's brother-in-law. The three of them live like they're in a frat house. The TV sports channels are on just about 24-7, but dad gets overwhelmed. When I get there and ask what he wants to work on that day, he almost always tells me, maybe you and St. Anthony could find my something. Usually I do find what he's looking for pretty quickly, even when all three of the household members have searched high and low. So I may not be a practicing Catholic, but St. Anthony's prayer still works just about every time. There are stranger things in heaven and earth. So I was raised Catholic and would no longer consider myself Catholic anymore, but... I do still say prayers to St. Anthony. So for those who aren't Catholic, St. Anthony is a patron saint of lost things. And when you lose something, you are advised to say a prayer to St. Anthony and he will help you to find it. And I still do it. All these years later, you know, I'm 32 years old. 
I don't go to mass. I don't do anything like that. I don't do anything that is aligned with Catholicism. But I still pray to St. Anthony. I just can't let that one go. And story number seven comes from Alex. I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw that my door was wide open and this weird girl was standing in the doorway. She was kind of translucent and glowing a really weird colour and she had Victorian clothes on. Your generic ghost girl. And I felt this primal fear and just started screaming at it to fuck off. I think my mum heard me because she rushed into my room and when she turned on the hallway light, the girl just kind of faded away. The second story can be more easily linked to mental health, but I thought you would still be interested. I have panic attacks, to normal things like the dark, unexplained sounds, stuff like that. But recently I've been having random panic attacks. Or I think they're random. Now that I think about it, they only really happen when I look out of windows at night. These panic attacks are different than the normal ones, since these are auditory. I've never had auditory ones before but it's like my brain just starts screaming, and I mean like bloody murder screams. It usually starts as just one, almost like a warning scream, before they sort of burst out, like multiple voices screaming so loud I can't even think through them. Some of them even start weeping. Unfortunately, I don't have a satisfying end with this one since it still happens. As you so rightly pointed out, those sort of auditory hallucinations or auditory panic attacks are often linked to mental health. And I'm, I don't want to be that person who's like, I don't know, being patronising. But if you haven't already, go and speak to your doctor about it. They might have some strategies that are helpful for it. But Victorian ghost girl, she needs to just get a life. Find other people to hassle. Imagine if it was just the same Victorian ghost girl the world over. It was just one. She's worn out from haunting people. She just refuses to move on to the afterlife because she enjoys freaking people out so much. That'd be amazing. That's my kind of energy. And story number eight comes from Sarah. This was a beautiful old house, owned before by the Lamberts, that had been converted into a nursing home. I worked here for four years from 1998 to 2002, and there are numerous different events that have been experienced by myself the other staff and the residents. My first experience was when I was helping a resident get up one morning. We were having a chat and I was worried about her as she looked very pale. She told me she was very tired as she had had a bad night. I just thought she must have had a pain or not been able to sleep as this happened often to many residents. However, she carried on saying that the children just would not stop playing and singing. She had asked for the staff to stop them but they just got louder and louder and started running around too. I dismissed this as a nightmare and soothed her and carried on getting her dressed. Once she was up and dressed, I went to the resident in the room next door to take out her breakfast tray and see if she needed anything. She stated that all she needed was a good nap after the children had kept her up. She even asked me if I could speak to the manager of the home and asked that the staff not bring their children in as they were very disturbing, and if they had to be here, could they be moved to someone else? After this conversation, I was pretty unsure about what to think about them both complaining, so I went to speak to the nurse in charge to relay the message to the managers. The nurse turned around to me 
and said there was no point passing on the message as no one had brought their children in and that it was ghost children. Apparently this was an ongoing occurrence in the same three rooms at the front of the house and many different residents had heard them. Also, some night staff had heard little feet running around at night in that area, which, as most residents could not walk in the upper floors, especially unaided, was impossible. One day I was cleaning the rooms and spotted something on the window. It was childlike writing scratched into the window. I showed my colleague and she just shrugged her shoulders and said it had always been here and everyone assumed it was from when it was the nursery of the former family home. A few years later, I was doing the afternoon duty of putting away the residents' laundry, which I was doing completely alone as the other staff were helping the residents play bingo downstairs. I was walking to a room opposite the three front rooms, the former nursery, when I saw a little shadow figure run from one of the three rooms straight into the room I was about to walk into through the wall. I stopped in my tracks and then heard a faint little giggle. I turned around and went back to the laundry room got my breath back trying desperately to make sense of what I'd seen. Part of me put it down to being tired as I was on my third 12-hour shift in a row but I then kept seeing this little shadow running in that area regularly after that and I still to this day cannot explain exactly what it was. If the shadow had been in exactly the same place and moved in the same way each time I could say it was a reflection but where I saw it and how it moved changed. So maybe the children of the house are still just trying to play with people. This was not the scariest experience I had in the home though. This happened on the top floor of the home. This floor only had three large rooms and had residents that could not move due to their illnesses. My best friend and I were taking one of the residents upstairs after dinner for his nap. We were getting him changed and comfortable in his bed when suddenly his bedroom door slammed shut. We both screamed and wondered how it had happened. All the doors had stoppers to keep them open and they literally had to be kicked out from under them with some force to close the doors. We knew that there was no one else upstairs, as they were all busy downstairs helping residents after dinner. Also, the lift in this home was incredibly noisy and we would have heard it moving down and back up and the door slam if it opened and closed. Again, the door on the stairs was incredibly squeaky and so were the floorboards. Even just shifting your weight slightly upstairs caused a noise. We laughed it off and carried on, and when he was settled, we went to leave and couldn't open the door. We were turning the handle, and it was moving, but the door just would not open. The door opens into the room, so we were pulling on it, but it was as if someone was holding it back. Then, the lights in the room started flicking on and off, and it went very cold. We both looked at each other and we were both shaking. By this point, I was used to the numerous strange occurrences and sightings, but this one felt very different. As we tried the door again, we heard a faint knocking noise coming from the opposite corner of the room. My friend let out a little scream and we went back to the resident's bed. He was none the wiser as he was fast asleep. As I stood there, I just said as calmly as I could, please let us out. We have more people to go and look after. My friend looked at me like I was mad, but the lights stopped flickering. I tried the door and it opened without any problems. So we went downstairs and my friend just kept saying, Oh, the lock must have been jammed. We just must be really tired. 
but there were no locks on any of the doors and the handle was turning without any problem and moving the mechanism out of the door. It was just that the door would not move. Ever since that day, I had an ominous feeling when going to the third floor and hated going up there. It was not long after that that I decided to quit working there. Mostly, this was because I was about to become a qualified nurse and so was about to get a full-time job instead of this job while not in university, but also because I just didn't want to go to that third floor, which made the job slightly impossible. There are so many other spirits within the home. The residents on the first floor regularly saw a policeman in their rooms. It was always the same two rooms where he was spotted. And in total, in the four years I was there, 25 different residents claimed to have seen him and all described him the same as a tall, thin man with a whistle and in an old-fashioned uniform. There was also a very mischievous spirit in the dining room who liked to pull people's hair and move things around. On the first floor too, it always felt like something was following you when you were doing the laundry. The laundry was in baskets in a large cupboard ready to be taken to rooms and every time you stood there, it felt like someone was directly behind you. It was a very strange feeling and I would have dismissed it had I been the only one who felt that way. It was often that you could be on the ground floor and hear someone walking around on the first floor, but nine times out of ten, all the residents that could walk were downstairs and so were the staff. So many little things happened to so many different people and at so many different times. I did not even think about the paranormal and the existence of ghosts until I worked there. Now I am a firm believer. There will be many out there who will come up with lots of different reasonings and explanations and I have done that myself and a lot of things I have dismissed but there are some experiences that I've had that I cannot explain away. The nursing home is no longer there and the home has been abandoned for many years and was left to its own devices. I have always felt a pull to there and often would drive past if I was going in that direction. I even contacted the owners as I was curious to look around now it was empty but they are turning the home into apartments and there is so much building work going on it's impossible to look around. It is such a shame they are ripping out so much as it was a truly beautiful home but I would be interested to see if the new apartments have any activity in the future, especially with all the building work disturbing their old home. Oh, I agree. I always wonder about these buildings that are turned into apartment complexes or whatever. Like my friend lives in the grounds or lived in the grounds of what was an old lunatic asylum outside Canterbury, this big, huge, sprawling lunatic asylum. And she had an apartment that was in what was once known as the old water tower of that building. So I do wonder about what happens to all of the different apartments. Do people experience things? Do they not experience things? Because it's, you know, it's a, a huge historical building. And these historical buildings, like we always say, are generally steeped in history with generations of families living there. Or in this case, you've got hospitals where people have convalesced there or they have gone there to live out the rest of their days. So there's a huge amount of residual energy in these places. And I wonder if when the new people move in, they have experiences too. Like certain people might experience those children running around. Certain people might experience the policeman. And I do love these stories about care homes where you've got multiple residents who complain about the same thing or see the same thing. Because if it was one resident, there's always the 
inclination to assume that it's medication based or lack of sleep based or illness based and not to consider it as a paranormal event. But when multiple residents experience the same thing, then it becomes a totally different situation. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Pam and Logan, Amar, Kate, Mark, Rihanna, Linda, Alex and Sarah for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came on September the 7th, 2021. If you would like to learn anything about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you could do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you would like to sign up for Patreon, where you can access heaps of extra content, you can do so by signing up to patreon.com forward slash stories for either $2 a month or $5 a month. And on that note, I shall see you next time.